Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Why are, you know, and, and you, can, you can add that, the ending to that. Um, in, in doing some study here, I, 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 and I, I love um, Dr. Schofield, um, and I, it's a little rabbit trail here, but you, if you've been around me long, you're going to know I have to chase rabbit trails. I actually chased a rabbit trail on him because I've read Dr. Schofield's Bible notes for years and heard about him and know nothing about him. And, and so I just, just got curious this morning, just thought I'll do an internet search on him. Well, wow, you just, you know, most of what you find on internet searches is not good. It's usually negative. But actually, it kind of encouraged me because, you know, in, in, in my mind, we kind of do old biblical writers the same way we do biblical characters. We have them one-dimensional. Paul was a holy man who never did, you know, never did anything wrong, never sinned. He was just barely beneath Jesus. And that wasn't the Apostle Paul at all. The Apostle Paul was a scoundrel. I mean, he, he did his best to murder every Christian he could until he got saved and then after he got saved you know we we look at ourselves and we look at at our churches and say you know why can't we all get along why do we have to have church splits why do we have to fuss and fight and yet Paul and Barnabas Paul just wrote him off he said you don't want to do it my way then you go on your own way and he grabbed Silas and he split you know Paul was not a perfect man and 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 brother Schofield wasn't a perfect man he was born, he was old enough that when the Civil War started, he joined the Confederate Army with uh, an outfit in Tennessee, actually fought at Antietam, which was one of the most vicious battles of the war, probably second only to Gettysburg. Um, got discharged from the Army, got re-forcibly enlisted, deserted, um, got married, had a couple of kids, left his wife, and became a lawyer abandoned his family, was a drunkard by his own admission, and one day one of his fellow lawyers was getting ready to walk out of the, the office that they were in, and he turned to him and he said, I've been meaning to ask you this question for a long time, and I've just been afraid to ask it. Why are you not a Christian? Because he knew that he had been raised in a Christian home. And it just in that day and age, you just didn't confront people like that. And it caught him up short. And long and short of it, this guy was in was one of the very, this lawyer was in the early parts of the evangelical movement where people literally started finding Christianity wasn't a cultural thing that you were born into the church. You got baptized into your church and you were just a Christian because you'd always been a Christian. Your families were Christians and it was more cultural than personal. Well, the evangelicals in the late 1800s, it became personal again. And it always has been personal for true Christians. And he made it personal for Dr. Schofield. And that led me to this, to ask why. If, if you're not a Christian, why are you not a Christian? If you are a Christian, why are you a Christian? Why do you live the way you live? Why do you do the things you do? Why do you spend money on the things you spend money on? Where are your priorities? 
Now, where it gets complicated for me, I have the Lord in this 40 days of prayer. Um, you know, when you, when you set yourself and you commit to be someplace, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 6 p.m., 7 p.m., it's real easy the first three days. About day five, six, seven gets into the second week, especially for me because I'm a, I'm a, you know, sleeping to five o'clock in the morning. I feel like half my day is wasted. I just I don't know what in the world I've done to sleep so late. But at six to seven p.m., I'm I'm ready. I'm getting. I'm thinking bedtime. You know, when you get up at four regularly, eight a.m., eight p.m. Well, it's it's been a challenge occasionally to get here, but when you just set yourself, I'm going to do it, I'm going to come, I'm going to pray, you start, you start seeing things. There is something about setting a time that I'm going to pray. I don't care what it takes. I don't care how hard it gets. You need to do the same thing with, with reading your Bible. There is a part of being a Christian that takes some discipline. And, you, you know, God said, if you will seek after me, I will seek after you. Well, the truth is God's always sought after us. But if we don't reciprocate, we're probably not going to have much of a relationship with him. Now, it doesn't mean you're not born again. It doesn't mean that you're not going to go to heaven. But, you know, you can, you can be married legally and just coexist in your house. That's possible. Gina and I, when we were very first married, uh, we had days like Chuck was talking about with uh, the um, painting the room, only ours didn't, we didn't work real well together. And we came to a point where it was like, look, um, divorce is never going to be an option. Murder, maybe. But... We really, it comes down to, we have a choice. Are we going to live together and be miserable, or are we going to find a way to live together and be happy? Your Christian walk is no different. It's not, it's not a, a coincidence that Paul in Ephesians equates the relationship, our relationship with Christ as a man and a woman being married. Because if you don't spend time getting to know your spouse, you don't know your spouse. If you don't take time getting to know Jesus through his word and spending time communing with him through prayer, you don't know your Lord. Now that does not mean that you may not be saved. Because let's face it, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm not preaching this to... to you know, to, and I forgot who preached it, but to hang you over hell over a small thread and you're just barely going to make it in. If you are a believer in Jesus and you truly ask him to come in and take over your life, I believe you are saved and you are pretty much safe unless you get really mature and you decide you want out. It starts in faith. I believe it'll always be by faith. But you can get saved, stay a baby Christian, your entire existence. Never grow, never know what God's got for you. So it comes down to why am I where I am 
and how I am, and if I don't like where I am and how I am, then how do I get to where I want to go? Because it really does come down to, it's my move. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he's resurrected, and he sat down. He's seated on the throne. Now, he's ruling and reigning from that throne. But essentially, his work is finished. He's not doing any more. He has said, guys, I have called you. I have saved you and I have given you my name. I've given you my spirit. I've given you my power. I've given you my anointing. Now you go. And if you don't go, guess what? You ain't going anywhere. It's up to you. It's up to us. If I, if I choose to just, pardon my French, but come sit down on my butt and watch TV and zone out, and I'm, as, I'm as the same as all of you. There are days when at the end of the day, I got to have an hour. Just let me sit down in front of some stupid show that doesn't require me to think. I just want to shut it off for a little while. Sometimes you need a little downtime. But if that downtime stretches to four, five, six hours every night, and that's all you ever do, you get up, you go to work, you work all day, all you think about is work, you come home, you cook, you clean a little bit, you sit down, you veg out for five hours, you go to bed, you get up, you do it all over. Is it a wonder our lives are a mess? I mean, it's just, I, I don't mean to be cruel, but we are where we are because we have made the choices that we have made. And the question comes down, why am I where I am and do I want to stay here? And I don't care where you are, you don't want to stay where you are. Because if you're not going forward, you're going backwards because there is no neutral. Now, let's go to Colossians chapter 1. In all of this, this praying lately, God has just, he has had me, I have prayed and, and confessed and read Colossians 1, 9 through 14. I can't count the number of times in the last few weeks. And it's always been one of my favorite scriptures. But I want to back up to, to verse 1. And I, I wish if I'd have thought about it. This, I, I have fallen in love with Bill Mounts' translation of the New Testament. And we don't have it back there because it's... I, I don't know how old it is, but I have, I've never heard about it till just recently. But I want to read the first eight verses of Colossians 1 from the Mount's translation. You can follow along in the King James, but he'll, it, it will be somewhat different. Um, but then I want to, the reason I want to do that is verse 9, which is the part I usually pray, starts out for this reason. Well, if... The verse starts, for this reason, it's probably a good idea to go back and figure out what's the reason. Well, the, the reason is for verse 1 through 8. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. First of all, you got to know everything in your life, if you're a Christian, is by the will of God. Now, that doesn't mean, don't, don't misunderstand me, it doesn't mean every circumstances you face is God's will. 
That's hyper-Calvinistic um, predetermination. There are a lot of things going to come your way that come from the enemy. And they're there to steal, kill, and destroy. But your calling as a Christian is by the will of God. God called you by name. He invited you into his presence. He invited you into his life. He wants you. He courted you. When, when Gina and I first met, when, when I started, we started dating, I courted her. She had already determined, I'm not dating anybody I work with. And I, I was persistent. In today's age, I'd probably get sued for, for um, stalking. Because, I mean, I, she, she was so polite, she would say no, and I never heard no. So until she, until she put her foot down and stomped me like I'd, I mean, let's face it, boy-girl relationships, if, you, if you've never asked a girl out if you haven't, or you haven't asked many women out if you haven't been stomped on and had your heart stomped on. Well, until I get stomped on, I'm, I'm pursuing. Well, I pursued her and pursued her and pursued her and pursued her. And finally, her grandmother, God rest her soul, said, what in the world are you doing? This guy, why don't you go out with this guy? Well, she gave her every reason in the world, and her grandma looked at her and said, you know, if I'd have had that attitude, you wouldn't be here. Because your grandpa and I worked together, and I, I loved Grandma Arnie because I, she probably would have never given in, except Grandma Arnie said, you go date that guy. My point in saying that is, that small potatoes compared to what Jesus has done for us. We are in this by the will of God. It's his idea, not mine, not Paul's. None of the apostles thought it up. Jesus thought it up before, the, before he created the first Adam, before he created the first bit of anything. He decided, this is what we're going to do. So... Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. He's writing to Christians. He says, notice this, you are a saint. You are holy. Do you feel holy? Doesn't matter. You are. You are also faithful. You are also brothers. We are holy, we are faithful, and we are brothers in Christ. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. When you have problems, know that God's not mad at you. God's not punishing you. He's got his grace extended towards you. And he, even if you have sinned, even if you are in the grossest sin, God is still reaching out to you. He will still jump right down in that muck and mire and drag you out of it and clean you up if you will just allow him to do it. He wants to be a part of your life. Verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Whoop. Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought I missed one. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Paul, most of us, when we pray for brothers, sisters, kids, parents, friends, whatever, somebody, you know they're not saved, you know they need to be saved, or you know they probably have been saved, but they're out in the world and you're praying for them, we pray for them till they get saved. 
and then we quit. Paul starts praying when he hears of their faith and their love towards one another. What he just said was, I heard that you guys got saved. You have a thriving church. I hear you're walking in love towards one another. You're walking in faith towards Jesus. I'm going to pray for you. Why? Because that just drew a huge, big bullseye on your rear end. The devil is going to come after you. Pastor Chuck and I were talking the other night. I said, how's this thing been going with the 40 days of prayer? Well, after I complained a little bit about it's getting a little tiresome, I said, I've noticed two things. I've noticed the anointing in, in this place, in our services, and in my own personal life, the anointing has stepped up one, two, three notches. And I've also noticed the opposition against me has stepped up one, two, three notches. You cannot obey God without God responding, and the devil will respond in kind. Now, don't take that to think, well, I'm just not, I'm sitting back. I don't want to make myself a target. You're already a target. He hates your guts. It doesn't matter whether you're saved or not saved. He hates you. He hates his own children. He wants to kill them. He wants to drag them to hell so they can be punished along with him. That's his desire. That's what he wants for his kids, let alone the kids of his enemy. So you're already his target. You might as well jump in wholeheartedly and get some ammunition and get some weapons to fight him. Amen? Then verse, um, where was I? Verse 4. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of the saints. That's why he's praying. I love this part. This is verse 5. New King James reads, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. This is Mount's translation. I love the way he puts this. Talking, He's referring back to the faith and the love. He says, both spring from the hope laid up for you in heaven. The faith that you walk in, the love that you walk in, spring forth because God has put hope in your heart that this isn't just it. There's more to life than what I'm facing right now. This, is, this, this isn't a trial to see if I can make it into heaven. This is it. What I am walking in now is what I'm going to walk in in the future, what I'm going to walk in for all eternity. Now, it's not that will be much higher level than this. For one thing, I won't have opposition when we get to the ultimate part of it. But in fact, let me, hold, let me just throw this out here. This is part of why I was looking at um, uh, Dr. Schofield. Dr. Schofield has this principle. And, and it's, it's three phases of life. And Dr. Schofield says there are uh, there's three stages of, of um, perfection or three stages of maturity, three stages of, of spiritual facts. The first stage is a positional truth. It's that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. That's positional. I'm standing in Faith Community Church, Indianapolis, today, right now. But I'm also seated with Christ in heavenly places. Everything that the New Testament says I have in Christ 
is a positional truth. It's mine, and it's mine legally, but it may or may not be manifesting itself in me right now. That depends on me and how I react to it and what I'm believing. Then there is a relative truth. Uh, 1 John 4, 17 and 18, love has been perfected or matured among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect or mature love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect or made mature in love. There is a maturity process that's going on with us right now. That's the second phase, the relative truth. I have it positionally, but I have to work it into my life. That's where we live. And then there is the ultimate truth, which when Jesus comes back, we go into either the millennial reign or the, 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 uh, the new heaven, the new earth, when Satan's bound forever in the pit. Everything that he says we will have, we will have to its maximum and it'll be beyond what you can think, ask, even imagine. But today we're living in relative truth. Relative truth is taking the positional truth that the Bible says, this is who you are in Christ, this is what you have in Christ, and living that out and walking that out and growing into that. That's why when verse 5 says, both this faith and the love spring from the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, that hope that's laid up for me in heaven, I already have that hope. Now, I've shared my testimony here before. You know, there was a point in my life where I had no hope. I was suicidal. It wasn't that I just wanted to die. I was planning how to do the deed. I had determined this is it. I'm done. And God stepped into my bedroom that night, and he spoke to me. To me, it was an audible voice. If you'd have been sitting there, you probably... If you heard anything, you'd have heard thunder. That happened to Jesus several times. But you wouldn't have heard the voice because it was to me. But he could have spoke to me all day and all night, but he, he didn't just speak to me. He also put hope in my heart, and it changed my existence. That was 1979 when that happened. March, sometime in March of 1979, I have lived on that hope from that day to this. That hope is still residing in there. I don't care how rough life gets, that hope is planted and growing and it has been more than enough. If I hadn't learned anything else, I could exist on that hope till I go home to be with the Lord. That hope changed my life. You cannot, I loved what Pastor said this morning, you cannot underestimate the need for hope and the power of hope <clears throat> apart from grace and hope is tied up in grace hope without hope you can't change you have to know it's possible otherwise what's the point but that faith and that love that these guys are walking in is is born out of, they spring from the hope that's laid up for us of heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. That's what the truth of the gospel is. That's why it's good news. It puts hope in your heart that this isn't it. See, a lot of times, and this just 
Oh, this gets me passionate. Most of the Christian preaching I hear, and, and, and I'm not talking about from pulpits, I'm talking about the comment sections on websites, is you're a lousy, no good, nothing, and you're going to hell. Wow, that's great news. Thank you very much. Bye. If that's your message to me, our conversation's over. Sorry, done. And I've had people tell me that. Gina and I were talking about something, and it doesn't matter, but we were talking about a ministry, and I'll probably go deal with, with the thing that they're, they're presenting just because I want to see it. But at the core of that ministry, the minister there, I've listened to him, and he's told me and people who believe like me that I'm a reprobate, I'm a heretic, and I'm going to go to hell. There's no hope for me unless I change. And we have a profound disagreement on what a certain few scriptures mean. And one of the things when I looked up Dr. Schofield, it was amazing the number of websites totally devoted to pronouncing this man a heretic because he's, he's a, a dispensationalist. Well, I don't know that I buy into everything that Dr. Schofield has said in his notes, but I'm certainly not going to say, oh, he was a heretic and he's in hell today. And I read that this morning. More than one person, they've assigned him to hell. Wow. Good news. You don't believe exactly the way I believe. You don't believe exactly the way you should believe. So there's no hope for you. You either have to do it my way or you're going to hell. Well, thank you very much. I was real, I'm really encouraged. I want to go home and just have a ball right now. No, it's good news. It's good news that there's hope. I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I was. I at least got on the train. I'm not done, but God's not done with me. Amen? So I, there's always hope. And I don't care how old you are, God's got a call on your life. I don't care how young you are, God's got a call on your life. He wants you to listen and hear and do what He has for you, and He will take you and make these things a part of your life. Verse 6, This gospel, which has come to you just as in the entire world, it is bearing fruit and growing, so also it is among you from the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has told us on your, uh, or of your love in the Spirit. Then we get to verse 9, for this reason. For this reason that I've heard good things are going on in your life. You're walking in faith. You're walking in love. God has planted hope in your heart. Epaphras has come and told us these guys are working really well. They're, they're, they're progressing. They're not perfect, but they're progressing. The, for that very reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. I've heard you've made a good start. You're pressing in. Now I'm going to pray because you need prayer now. You're about to hit some opposition. And I'm going to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of His will. Nothing, nothing 
Nothing is more important than knowing God's will for your life. If you don't know God's will for your life, you are, you are the blind leading the blind, and you will end up in a ditch. Well, I don't know how to figure out God's will. Well, if you've ever been in the military, there are, and, and I forget, they, I'm sure they've changed from when Jack was in the military and, and whoever's in the military presently, but there are, there are standing orders, general orders. One of them is you never leave your post until you are relieved. You leave your post before you're relieved, you're in trouble. Why? Because it's an all the time, every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's an order. It never gets revoked. It never changes. These are God's general orders right here, the Bible. If you want to know God's will, you start here. And personally, I would start with Romans chapter 1, verse 1, and I would read through the end of Philemon, and then I would go back and start with Romans chapter 1, verse 1, and I would just read them over and over and over again. And I know everybody says, well, why, why are you leaving the Gospels out? The Gospels will get you saved. You know, it's not that it, it's all good. Don't, don't misunderstand me. All the Bible is profitable. But the epistles are written to the church. You're part of the church, and you need to know what God has to say to the church. It's interesting, and it's knowledgeable, and it will help you to know what he said to Israel. It's interesting and knowledgeable to know how to get saved, but once you're saved, you need to find out what he says to, to the church. And when you get that in you, and you start walking in some of it, then you can expand your search. But if you're not walking in that truth, you don't have that truth yet. That's how I know what you believe. How do you live? You know the old, the old saying, I, I'd like to be a fly in their living room. If Brother Hagin used to say it, and he, I've seen it proven true, I will know what you believe if I hang around you long enough because I can listen to what you say and how you talk. Because how you talk and what you say is what you truly believe. Ken and I had a conversation a few weeks ago about name it and claim it. But you know what? That principle is at work in your life whether you believe in name it or claim it or not. You have what you say. If you are talking or, or how you talk is what you're going to live. Now, Ken's problem, and I would agree with his problem with it, was there were a lot of baby Christians that were claiming Cadillacs and airplanes and things that God hadn't spoken to them. But the principle is your mouth controls your life. And when you talk a certain way, that's what's going to manifest in your life. You talk doubt and unbelief and fear, you're going to have doubt and unbelief and fear manifest in your life. You talk faith and Bible. Now, James said it, maybe it was Peter, you know, we shouldn't have this stream we've got. Sometimes it's spouting salt water. Sometimes it's spouting fresh water. Get one way or the other. And fresh water is better. You can drink. If you've ever had spring water, and spring water is great. Salt water, not so much. You know, or you can get even worse, sulfur water. That'll just, whew, it'll either kill you or cure you. And I'm not sure which way, you know, you drink it, you're thinking, kill me, please. 
But we ought to be spouting pure water. We ought to be spouting the pure water of the word. It's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5. He said, Christ washes his bride with the, pure, with the washing of the water of the word. This water, well, the, the, the word was planted in you so that you got born again, but after you're born again, it'll water the seed that's in you. And when you plant that seed, it'll bear fruit. And that fruit is first displayed by how you talk and then by how the, what fruit bears out of your life. Amen? <coughs> Excuse me. But we need to be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? Verse 10. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. The whole point of being born again, of knowing God's will, is to walk like He wants you to walk. And if your walk isn't worthy of His walk, then you got some growing to do. Now, let me tell you, you'll never arrive. Ever. There's always room to grow. But we need to be growing. Fully pleasing Him. I'm not out to please anybody but Jesus. Now the good news is, if I'm pleasing Him, most everybody in my life is going to be pleased too. But not everybody. Some people will hate you when you are pleasing Him. They will call you names. The Bible says if they persecuted Him, what makes you think you're any better? They're going to persecute you. The LGBT community is never going to be happy with me because I will stand and say that is a sexual sin. I will also say and stand in, if you are a born-again Christian and you are living with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you are living in sin. I don't care who you are. Just because, you know, we, we, we want to jump up on our high horse over, sexual, over homosexual sin, we're not too quick to, to point out people's sin when it's heterosexual sin. They're both in the same boat. And then you want to really go, go back to Proverbs and look at the seven sins that, that, that uh, are talked about in Proverbs. Five of the seven deal with your mouth and how you talk. Now that doesn't straighten out your lips. Sometimes it just, you, read, you read through those seven sins, you just walk around silent for a while. <laughs> it's like, I'm afraid to say anything lest I get over. Well, you know, that was my dad's 12th commandment. The 11th was, thou shalt not shave on thy day off, which I never understood until I started shaving. And that one is true. But the 12th one was, shut thy mouth. I, if I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times. Boy, if you keep your mouth shut, people will sometimes think you are a fool. But if you open it, they will know you are every time. Now, it wasn't the most encouraging thing to say to your son, but in my case, it was accurate 99% of the time. But we should have this walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and then increasing in the knowledge of God. This knowledge, this word knowledge here, is the word Greek word epinosis. Epi meaning above, and gnosis is just the, the normal Greek word for knowing something. What he's saying is we need to have, notice, it's not just knowledge, we need to have a knowledge of God, but it's a superior knowledge. When, when your circumstances say, you're going under, 
God's superior knowledge says, no, you're going over. Now, which are you going to identify with? Which are you going to talk about? Oh, my God, you just don't understand. Yeah, I do. I understand it perfectly well. I've been under the barrel, had the barrel filled up, and had somebody sitting on the barrel. Been there more than once in my life. And when you're there, all you want to do is sing the blues. Yeah, I wish I could play the guitar like B.B. King and, and just sing those blues all day because I want somebody, my God, will you please just feel sorry for me. And God's saying, quit. Shut up. Quit talking your problem. Start talking your solution. Get in here. Find a promise that I've given you, something that's positionally yours right now. And get seated with me in heavenly places. Take your brain out of the gutter. Put your brain up here with me and look over the battlefield and say, oh, this looks a little different, you know. Looks a little different from this perspective. And when I'm up here, it's like, well, I see the problem. I did this and this and this and this, and now I'm reaping this and this and this and this. And God's saying, yeah, and I got a way out. And take his way of escape. Amen? We can know we have a, there is a superior knowledge. Not only do we have that knowledge, but notice verse 11. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power. That strengthen with all might is the same power. If you read this passage, parallel passage in the book of Ephesians, and Colossians and Ephesians are twins. Paul wrote them at the same time. There's like 90% of the words are exactly the same in the two letters. One he wrote to the church at Ephesus, one he wrote to the church at Colossae, which were, they were close. It would be like talking in the old days about Southport and Indianapolis. They were two cities that were separated by a few miles, but they were basically both pastored by Paul in the beginning and Timothy now. And he says in, in, in the Ephesians account, he's talking about when he says, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power, he's talking about the power that raised Christ from the dead. That same power is in you. I don't feel very powerful. I'm not talking about how you feel. I'm talking about facts. I'm talking about truth. Truth is the Holy Spirit that created the entire universe lives only inside of you. Cancer is nothing to him. Heart disease is nothing to him. Your circumstances are nothing to him. Well, brother, I'm struggling so hard. I know. Quit. Just relax in him. That doesn't mean you don't have a work to do. He's telling us you're going to have to have every good work. There's a job to do. But you aren't responsible for bringing it about. You're just responsible for believing him and talking like he's not a liar. When he said it was true, believe that it's true. Why do we need, again, we're, we're going to have a walk worthy of him fully pleasing Him so that we can be fruitful in every work that we have and increase in this knowledge of God and will be strengthened with all might according to the glorious power that raised Him for the dead. Why? For all patience and long-suffering with joy. Now, I don't particularly like those two words. 
But when you look at them, there's, 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 a little, there's a little hidden meaning here. The word there that's translated in the New King James, patience, is the Greek word hupomone, which is the, the uh, picture of a person stepping on, under a pack. If you Again, if you've ever been in the military, especially in boot camp, it, we're going to go out for a run today, guys. Come on, get your smiley faces on, you know. Shelby and we, we were talking, I don't know, this week or last week, talk, he was talking about relating. When he was in boot camp, the, the DI offered them, a, you know, if you don't want to go for the run, that's fine. You all can just stay here. Just raise your hand. <laughs> Never fall for that bait. But usually the DI will say, well, stick a pack on. Well, what do you want in it? Oh, you don't have to put anything in it. And then as you run, those that start falling a little behind, he had a habit of having these little rocks. When I say little, I'm talking about six inches in diameter. They'd be placed strategically along the road. And if he thought you were dogging it, he'd say, hey, come here. He'd open that rucksack and stick a rock in there. And he'd just keep putting the load on. Well, that's what hupomone means. It means to step under a load. Now, Paul tells us in, in Philippians that we should each bear our own, our own load, our own weight, but then right below that, he says, but we should also bear one another's burdens. Two different Greek words. The burden that God's called you to, to, to bear is a light load. He said it in, in Matthew 11, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That burden is following him, knowing his will and walking it out as best you can. There are some loads that you can't handle. That's why he's called us together as a family, as a church. Not only this local church, but groups of churches. We are to pray for one another, support one another. When you get down, I ought to be up. Gina and I, we've said it, and I've known other people that have had the same experience. It's like, thank God that if we ever both get down at the same time, God help us. Who's going to ever get us up? Because if, if she gets under it, usually I'm doing all right, and I can pull her faith up a little bit. And then when I get under it, she's not under it, and she can pull my faith up a little bit. Well, we need one another. We need to help support one another. We, that's the word patience there. It's staying under the load. When you're tired of doing what God's called you to do, oh, Lord, I just don't want to do this anymore. I want to quit. I'm tired. Tough. Are, are you First of all, look at your load. Are you, are you trying to do more than you've been called to do? Have you taken on a lot of responsibilities? Have you taken on a lot of religious activity that's wearing you out? If you have, give it up. Find out what His will is for your life. Do His will. If you're doing His will, His anointing will be there to help you do His will. If you're doing too much, quit doing so much. You know, there's a whole principle, and then there are people that get paid big bucks to come in your house and help you declutter. Well, sometimes we need to, we, let's face it, we probably all need to declutter our house. You know, if your house is like mine, we just need to go rent one of those big dumpsters and start heaving. I could probably fill one up a couple of times. But... We also need to declutter our lives and our activities. Sometimes when you're running too hard, you can't figure out what God's will is because you're too busy doing natural things. You need to figure out, God, what do you want me to do? What is my calling? And do that and forget about the rest. 
Now, let me, let me simplify this. If you're a husband, it's God's will for you to minister to your wife. If you're a wife, it's God's will for you to minister to your husband. If you're a parent, you are to minister to your kids. If you're a child, you're to obey your parents. Those are general orders standing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They always apply. But beyond the normal stuff, God's got something for you to do, and you need to get to do it. You need to get under that load. But this long-suffering, it's, it's the Greek word macrothumium. And most of the time, how it's translated means to suffer long. It means to be, and thumia means um, fire or anger. That's how most translators interpret that. And they say to, to hold your anger in for a long time over a situation. But as I've been looking at this and meditating on this, I saw something a little different. I saw rather than long-suffering, rather than that just being um, um, holding my temper for a long time, one, one translator I saw uh, said, it's like being, having the power to commit murder and pardoning the person instead. But I looked at it and I thought, thumos can also be translated, in fact, it is translated in a lot of places in the New Testament, passion. And macro passion means to have long passion, to be passionate about what you're doing. And when I started looking at that and thinking about that, I started asking myself, John, what are you passionate about? Is there anything in your life that you are passionate about? If not, why not? God ought to put a passion in your life. Jeremiah uh, said this, Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Jeremiah had a very unique ministry. Um, Jeremiah was called to the nation of Israel when they were um, getting ready. The, they were getting ready to go into captivity, and all of the the prophets of Israel were saying, uh, "These people are going to come to the gate, and God's going to defeat them, just like He's always defeated these enemies." And Jeremiah's got the distinct honor of saying, "They're wrong. God has shown me you're going into captivity." This, this city, Jerusalem, is going to be conquered. The entire nation is going to be taken off. And we're going to be gone for a long time. You go over to chapter 29 of Jeremiah. He tells them when they're in Babylon, he said, Guys, you're here for a while. Plant vineyards. Have families. Pray for the peace of the city that wherever you are because however much peace that city has, that's how much you're going to be in. Well, we ought to be praying for our city. Because how much peace Indianapolis has is how much peace we're going to have. That's why we're called to pray for our nation. Because how much peace our nation has is how much peace we will have. But in, in, in Jeremiah 20, um, verse 7, Jeremiah is done. He's like, God, I am sick of this. I know you've called me and you've given me this message, but I am finished. I'm not doing it anymore. I've been abused, I've been used, they've thrown me in a pit. I'm, I'm, I quit. Verse 7, O Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. You bullied me into this, God. 
and I'm not happy about it. I am in derision daily. Everybody mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, meaning God, nor speak any more in his name. I quit. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. That's what Paul's talking about in Colossians when he talks about long-suffering. You have great passion. What is in your life that you just can't hold it back anymore? I got to do it. Reminds me of that old story. Guy went to church and he got too loud and the pastor came out to him and he's plowing. This is back when they were plowing with mules and he's on his plow and the pastor walks out in the field and he's talking to him and he said, Brother, you've just been disruptive in services lately. He said, Can you tone it down a little bit? And the guy takes his hat off and he says, Brother, I'm, I'm just sorry. I try, not, I try not to do that. He said, but I, I get to looking, and, and I got this old hat, and when I look at this hat, I think of the crown of righteousness that God's put on me. And I look at my shoes, and I think, God shed me with the gospel of peace. Hold my hat, i got to shout! <laughs> he couldn't hold it in. Why? Because it was real to him. He was passionate. My God, I want to be passionate about life. I don't have a Christian life and a married life and a fatherly life and a church life. I got a life. This is it. This is all I got. I'm talking to God a couple weeks ago and I said, God, I'm almost 65 years old. If I'm really strong, I got 20 years and I'm not near where I want to be. Get some things going here. If I'm doing something wrong, smack me. I'm tired of being where I am. I want to walk in the call that you've given me. I want to be, be I want to get out of bed in the morning and think, my God, what's God got for me today? This is going to be great. But if you don't have a passion, it's not his fault. Get it. Jump in there. Stir up the gift that's in you. He's given you everything he's got. He's not held back a thing from you. Jump in. The water's great. Oh, but I might drown. No, you won't. you got friends swimming beside you. We'll hold you up till you learn. Now, my God, I haven't even got through the first paragraph of my notes. Oh, Lord, let me, let me try to wrap this up. Where I, well, for today, I'm going to put pause here in a minute. Where we are going, and I haven't even gotten to the, verse 12, giving thanks. <laughs> oh, my Lord, we got things to be thankful for. But, but where we're heading, if you, if you read this, this, Paul's laying this out. This is how he's starting this book. Look what God's done for you. Look what God's given you. And the whole purpose of it, if you read, and it doesn't read real clear, as clear as this in Colossians, but if you go into to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll just leave it with you, it's in verse 3 and in verse 13. He says, 
the whole purpose of this is to get to unity, unity of the Spirit, unity of purpose. That The Greek word there that's translated unity in verse 3 and in verse 13, that's the only place it's found in the entire New Testament. But if you look at the root of that word, it means it's, it's, it's derived from the word for the numeral one. It means be of one. We, we need to come together as a body of believers. Me with Jesus first. I can't agree with you about anything if I don't agree with him about some things. Once I get it straight between he and I, then I got to get it straight between me and my wife, me and my kids, me and my family. Once I get that, and I, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. You can get it straight between you and work on your relationship with your wife and work on your relationship with your church members all at the same time. It's not a progression. Well, I got I to gotta get it straight between me and God first. Well, you do. That only takes a nanosecond. Doesn't take long. It's an attitude adjustment, not an actual doing something. It's just adjust your attitude, put him back on the throne, and get yourself off the throne. And once you get it right, then the other things will start working out. And you may have to go back and do some repenting, do some asking for some forgiveness. I don't know. Depends on where you are. But we're working towards being unified and purpose. That does not mean that we're all going to be the same. My wife and I are, are, are together. Will you ask us, you could take us apart and set us down and give us a survey and figure out what our core beliefs are and what our core values are. That's where we're unified. Other than that, I don't think we've agreed on anything since day one. We are two very different people. And I, I, I've used that description more times. We are just very different. If she looks at a situation and sees white, I look at it and see black. If she sees red, I see something else. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't know my colors, and she tells me all the time. I, I name a color, and she said, just kind of smiles and says, that's not what that is. Well, how do I know? I, you know, I just know what I see, and I've got, you know, my color wheel has like four colors. That's it. But... But we are unified. We are one. When, when the devil attacks her, I got her back. When he attacks me, she's got my back. I don't care how mad she makes me, I won't turn on her. Now, I may fuss with her. I, may, I stick my foot in my mouth. I, I do suffer from foot and mouth disease quite frequently. But, but in the core values, the core parts of our lives, we're in total agreement. We're walking towards the same thing. We both want whatever God's got for us, and it doesn't matter what price we have to pay. I can, I'll guarantee you, because she's done it before. If I go to her this week and I say, Gina, I have been praying about it and praying about it and praying about it, and I believe God has told me, sell our house. we got to move to Timbuktu to start a different ministry. I'm going to have, first of all, I've got to give her time to get on board. If God's given you a vision, you can't expect your spouse to jump on that vision instantly if it's taken you nine months to a year or two years to get there. Give them time to catch up with you. But at some point, she'll say, I think this is God. 
If she doesn't, she'll tell me. I don't think it is God. We need to pray some more. But once we get settled on what God's will, doesn't matter. We're doing it. Sell the house, sell the car. If it costs us everything, I've been bankrupt. I survived. If I have to go bankrupt again, I'll survive again. I don't care. I don't care the cost. I'm going to follow God, and she's going to follow with me. That has to be our attitude towards everything and everybody in our lives. The price, I don't care what the price is monetarily. I don't care what the price is materially. I just want to follow God. That's it. That's all I want. That is the unity of the Spirit. And then, and we'll get to this next week, we got to grow up. He says here, he'll, we go on down, he says, I want you to, to attain to perfection. That doesn't mean you're not going to have any faults. It means it's, it's literally using the um, Greek word um, telos, which means a full-grown man. And there are, I'll throw them out here and then I'll, I'll quit with this. There are five stages of growth to the, to the Greeks. There was the nepios, which means without speech, talking about a baby. We've all started. That's where we all started. There's a, a pation, and, and don't, don't quote or use my pronunciations. The only thing worse than my Greek spelling is my Greek pronunciations. Pation means it's from about age two to the bar mitzvah. It's the main growing time where you're learning and, and you're gaining facts and figures and you're figuring out who you are. And then at, at 12 or around your bar mitzvah, you become a technon. You're, you're talking, but this is where your apprenticeship starts. This is where you now know the word, but now you've got to start applying the word to your life. An apprentice knows a lot of stuff. Before you become an apprentice, you just got to go figure out some stuff, and you're going to learn a lot of facts, a lot of figures, and you got to get this stuff, and then we're going to put you to work. And you're not drawing full wages. You're just going to get paid a little bit, and you're going to work beside a master craftsman, and you're going to watch him and do the little grunt jobs. You're going to be a gopher, but gradually we will put you. I, I look at, we all know who now who Ben Carson is, the neurosurgeon. He got, his, got out of high school with honors, went to university, got a four-year degree, went to medical school, got a four-year degree, and then he had 12 years of apprenticeship before he went out in private practice. Can you imagine having a medical degree and looking and saying, I got 12 more years of apprenticeship before I can go out on my own? But when he opens your skull and he's got a scalpel, and needles and tweezers, and he's working on your brain, I want him well-trained. We're handling the Word of God. There can be a long apprenticeship, but it's taking the knowledge we got as a child and starting to put it into practice in our lives. And that's not even where he's saying we need to get to. We need to get to this, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we need to get to telos. And I know I only gave you four, but we'll, we'll get into more detail. Telos is where yourself, you walk in self-control. Your body doesn't rule you anymore. Your mouth doesn't rule you anymore. You don't fly off the handle at every little thing. You, have, <clears throat> you know what your calling is. You're walking in your calling. And when opposition comes, I, I posted something on the, on the church website, or not the website, a church Facebook page yesterday. It was a quote from Brother Hagen, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to mess it up now because I lost it. But it said, um, the, 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 the essence of it was, 
We need to train ourselves so that in every event of life, the first thing we ask ourselves is, what's the Word of God say? That's our goal. That's a fully mature. Now, we ought to know what the Word says about every situation if, we, if we've studied it. But if you're still in, and you can go from infant to a telos really quick spiritually. doesn't take a lifetime. But sometimes it does. The problem is, don't get stuck. Sometimes, and I'll be honest with you, I've known a lot of Christians, they're still at step one. They're infants. They don't speak. They don't know the word. They don't speak the word. And they just, life takes them where life's going to take them. It's que Sarah, Sarah. what will be, will be. Well, I've seen that side of life. It wasn't pleasant for me. And I determined I'm going to find some answers and I'm going to fight the fight. When the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, I'm not going without a fight. You know, the, my, I, the lesson I saw was with the Jews in World War II. If, the, if you could have gone and shown the Jews the end result of the death camps, I guarantee you they'd have gone down fighting. Today you go to Israel, every house is loaded for bear. And every house is ready to fight the fight because they know the world hates them and the world wants to kill them. And they are ready to fight back every time. We need to be that way spiritually. We need to be on the lookout and say, God, what do you want for me? What have you given me? Have my guns loaded. And when the devil shows up, I'm, I'm just unleashing on you. I'm going, to, I'm going the nuclear option first thing. I'm not waiting. I'm not pulling out my that you know that nine millimeter. I'm hitting a missile button and I'm sending an H bomb towards you, devil. I'm blowing you out of the sky, because I'm not messing around with you. I don't want anything you got, but Lord, I just want to press into more of you. And it's not that that that, that I don't have all of Him. It's that He doesn't have all of me yet, but He wants it, and I want to be passionate about living the life. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com.